Well, good morning, everyone. I hope you're doing well today. Uh, How beautiful was that, right? What a great experience in both in both rooms today, just um, I feel so grateful. There's something so powerful about music and about our ability uh, to allow music to say things that maybe our soul wanted to say that we didn't even know we wanted to say. Um, so thanks to the teams for leading us through that. My name is Clay, by the way. Uh, I get to be here about <clears throat> every month or so and teach, and I just feel so grateful to get to be a part of FaithBridge, to get to pop in. Uh, I think this is a remarkable church. And uh, it's because of you. It's because of the community that you have with each other. It's because of the way that you love this community. And so if you're visiting or you're checking it out, you know, kicking the tires on this place, trying to figure out if this is going to be your church, uh, I hope that today maybe would be a step in making this church uh, your church, because I think that would be a terrific, terrific decision. Uh, I, I, um, I'll tell you just a little bit about myself, because I get this feeling in the fall uh, on, a, on a Sunday after a big college football Saturday. Any of you enjoy college football? Yeah, any of you, you pay no attention to college football? A few of you, okay. Well, for those of you that paid no attention, you'll have to find your own illustration. Um, I, I, I grew up in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and they play a lot of football there, and they really like their football. And I didn't just grow up there. Um, it's one of those things that it really was a religion in this, it was a religion in general, but it was particularly, it was a big deal in my family. Uh, my, uh, my dad's uncle coached with Paul Bear Bryant. My dad's brother played football at Alabama for Bear Bryant. My parents went to Alabama. They met in school at Alabama. I, I grew up about, I mean, our high school was across the train tracks from the university. And so my room was just plastered in Alabama quotes and pictures and paintings and paraphernalia. And uh, when my wife and I, when we started dating, you know, I was like, hey, I don't, I don't know how to warn you of this, but it's kind of a big deal in our family. And then when she went and experienced it, she was like, you undersold it. Uh, that is a way, that is not just a big deal, that is massive. But I say all that to say, uh, I grew up in a family that, uh, I have wonderful parents that love Jesus and we were in church every Sunday, no matter the result of the football game, which is not the case for most people. And I remember, uh, I remember Sunday as a child, as a teenager growing up there, my, my Sunday experience, it always exposed this empty feeling that I sensed inside of me after a Saturday. Uh, whether the team won or whether the team lost, there was always something about going to church that it kind of, in, in a good way, it put Saturday in its proper context. But in a bad way, it exposed this thing in me, this emptiness of why do I make so much out of something that means so little? And I could never say that to anyone because they would, I mean, they would really make you pay for making a statement like that. But now that I'm 43 years old um, and not getting better at it, I am even more aware at all of the things that we put so much energy in, and maybe yours is sports, but maybe yours is work, or maybe yours is your family, or maybe yours is whatever hobby it is that you have. And I I just wanna tell you today, I'm not here to try to make you feel guilty for it if you're checking your fantasy football lineup, getting ready for the day because you're all into what, I'm, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty for that, but I think God might be, because today, 
<laughs> I'm right there with you, okay? I'm in the seat with you. Today we're looking at uh, the second half of Acts 19, and the whole topic of today is about idols. It's about the, those things that we invest so much time and energy and attention and so much heart into. And what, what I hope we'll find today is that I don't think God, I, I, I'm kind of joking, I don't, God, guilt is not God's method for motivation. I hope you know that. That if you feel a sense of guilt, that is not God's primary motivation for people to change. No, how, how does God lead people to repentance? Through kindness. And so today, I really hope will be a day that as we open up God's word and look at this remarkable story that we have the, the privilege of getting to read through the story of the, the early church through Acts, that in God's kindness, he will woo us not to love things less, but just to love him more. Not to love football less, not to love school less, not to love your family less, not to love your job less, but just for us to love him more because that really is where life is found. That really is where we are at our best. That's where we experience the most joy, the most meaningful joy and satisfaction in life. And so let's, um, if you brought a Bible, let's open up to Acts 19. If you don't have a Bible, we would love to gift you one. We would love to give you a Bible. So uh, there are uh, some ushers that are coming to, whenever I say usher, I always think of Usher, the R&B singer. And so <laughs> which I need a new name for it. We have some amazing volunteers. Um, these, these are my confessions. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's just, it worked too perfect. But uh, if you need a Bible, we have ushers or ushers that would love to give you one. So <laughs> there it is. Acts 19. Would you turn, some of you are like, I don't know who usher is. Don't look him up and don't listen to him. But um, he is a good singer and a good dancer. Uh, all right. Acts 19, verse 23. We're going to read the story in its entirety, and then I'll just come back afterwards, and we're going to make a couple of points about, um, about the power of idols Verse 23, about that time, there arose a great disturbance about the way. Now, remember the way, this is what, in, in the early church, this is what they called Christians. They're, they're, they didn't have the term Christians yet. They just called them followers of the way. And so there was this great disturbance because of and about the way. Verse 24, a silversmith named Demetrius who made silver shrines. These would be idols. He made these little objects. He made these silver shrines of Artemis, of Artemis, excuse me, and brought in a lot of business for the craftsmen there. And so he had created a business around his idols. Idol, uh, idol worship was then a powerful business, and it is now a powerful business. But it just looks different. Verse 25, he called them together along with the workers in related trades, and he said... You know, my friends, we receive a good income from this business, right? And they all went, yeah, we do. And you see and hear how this fellow Paul has convinced and led astray large numbers of people here in Ephesus and in practically the whole province of Asia. He says that gods made by human hands are no gods at all. 
There is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess of Artemis will be discredited, and the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now, I appreciate his line of reasoning. I appreciate his argument, but what was his main concern? (laughs) Money. That's his main concern, right? And I love that he tried to cloak it in this goodwill toward or this concern for the great God, the great goddess that they worshiped. But no, it was really about money for him and it is usually about money for us as well. Verse 28, when they heard this, they were furious and they began shouting, Great is Artemis of Ephesians. Soon, the whole city was in an uproar. The people seized Gaius and Articus, Paul's traveling companions, uh, excuse me, Aristarchus. That's that second, that R in there is tough, but I'll let you handle that one on your own. (laughs) Paul's traveling companions from Macedonia and rushed them all into the theater together. Now, Paul, this is remarkable, verse 30 Paul wanted to appear before the crowds, but the disciples would not let him. Paul, uh, we don't have enough time to dive into just a particular aspect of Paul's character, but hopefully throughout the story arc that we're getting in Acts, one of the things we learn about Paul is a man of remarkable courage. This is a theater of thousands of people that were furious that he was robbing them of their business, that he was stealing their tradition from them. And instead of running the other way, he's wanting to run in there and convince them that Jesus is who he says that he is. And that in Jesus, that he is the only one that can give us true life. Little did he know, or maybe he did know that were he to do that, they would have ripped him apart. They would have, they would have, had him beaten, maybe even killed. And so his friends restrained him and said, Paul, that's silly, it's ridiculous. We need you, you cannot run in there. But Paul's going, but I I want in, let me in. Let me have a chance to explain to them. Let me have a chance to explain to them who God really is. What remarkable courage from Paul. Paul wanted to appear before the crowd, but the disciples would not let him. Verse 31, and even some of the officials of the province, friends of Paul, they sent him a message begging him not to venture into the theater. Verse 32, the assembly was in confusion. Some were shouting one thing, some another. Most of the people did not even know why they were there. The Jews in the crowd pushed Alexander to the front and they shouted instructions to him. He motioned for silence in order to make a defense before the people. But when they realized he was a Jew, they shouted in unison for two hours, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Page turn. The city clerk quieted the crowd and said, fellow Ephesians, doesn't all the world know? that the city of Ephesus is the guardian of the temple of the great Artemis and her image which fell from heaven. Therefore, since these facts are undeniable, you should calm down. Do not do anything rash. You have brought these men here, though they have neither robbed temples nor blasphemed our goddess. If then Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen have a grievance against anybody, the courts are open and there are pro-councils. They can press charges. If there is anything further you want to bring up, it must be settled in a legal assembly. As it is, 
We are in danger of being charged with rioting because of what happened today. In that case, we would not be able to account for this commotion since there is no reason for it. And after he said this, he dismissed the assembly. Now, one of the remarkable things about this, this narrative, this, this little, this, this incident that Luke chronicles for us is that usually what happens here, this, and you, you've seen this theme, those of you that have been tracking with us through Acts this year, you've seen this theme that there is a disturbance in the city, there's something that happened, uh, people get upset because ultimately their idols are getting smashed, their idols are getting challenged through either someone healing someone, someone leaving the life that they knew and coming to faith in Jesus. And usually it's a sermon by someone at this point. There's a sermon by Peter or a sermon by Paul or even a sermon by Stephen, the martyr. But in this case, it's a city clerk that preaches this sermon, trying to remind the crowd, trying to calm the crowd, just really with logic. We'll get to maybe why it's the city clerk that gave the, ser- the, the, the sermon, if you will, not really a sermon, but the speech. But the first thing that we have to pay attention to in this text is that anything can become an idol, right? In- anything can become an idol. And it would be silly for us, it would be silly for us to go, oh, well, Our world is different than the first century world. This was a a polytheistic culture where they they were used to worshiping all kinds of gods and goddesses. And so, of course, there would be a craftsman, in this case named Demetrius, who was building these little shrines to allow people to worship. And, and, And of course, of course, God would need to directly condemn these idols, but our world is different. We don't have little shrines that we worship anymore, or, 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 or do we, right? I, I think we all can agree, particularly those of us that have been following Jesus for a while. If you've been a Christian for a, a number of years and you've grown in your faith, you, you probably had a, some kind of conversion where you realize that I was running this way, I was trying to live my life for myself or live my life for the approval of others or live my life to please someone, and I realize that God has already approved of me, that God loves me, that God paid for my sin through the death of Jesus, and his resurrection from the dead gives me life. There was a moment where you came to that conclusion that he is real, that he is life, and that I'm going to give him my life. But then over time, you found yourself perhaps sucked back into or found yourself still chasing after the approval of others or wanting to please others or wanting to be liked by others or wanting to chase those normal things that everyone else chases. And so today, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're just trying to figure out faith, I hope that today will be one of the most freeing messages I hope that this passage will be one of the most clarifying messages because you are not alone if you find yourself chasing after the things of this world. Just because you put your faith in Jesus doesn't mean you all of a sudden stop chasing the things of this world. What are the things of this world? I mean, what are the normal things? What would be the idols of our day? Well, you would say it would be pleasure, comfort, power, career, money, 
fame. I mean, these are the things that you might not check all of those boxes, but every one of us can find something in our life that we'd go, yeah, I am, I am just as guilty as anyone at wanting to elevate something to be the most important thing in my life. I, I, the, the ultimate definition of an idol is really anything, anything that functionally is more important to us than God. Anything that we would find that we need more than him or that we want more than him or that we desire more than him or that we love more than him. The most powerful idols are the things that are good things that we turn into ultimate things. It would be real easy for us to go after or to talk about some of the idols that we would all say, well, those aren't healthy anyway. It, it, the, the, those of us that have addiction somewhere in our family, you can relate to this, where you've seen men and women who are pursuing alcohol or pursuing drugs or pursuing gambling or pursuing some sort of sexual fantasy, whatever it may be, some sort of idol that we would all go, well, that's not healthy for you. But the most dangerous idols are the ones that we would say, no, that's a good thing, but it's become the ultimate thing. Let, let, let me give you some examples of this. I, I read one commentary who said, in Washington, D.C., what is the idol of Washington, D.C.? It's power. What about another big city, Boston? What is the idol of Boston? Intellect, brains, smarts. What about New York City? What's the idol of New York? Money, right? Well, what, what about Texas? What would you say is the idol of Houston, Texas? I, I, I don't know. You live here. I don't live here. But what would you say it is? Anyone want to shout something out? Brisket. <laughs> That's awesome. Do not touch my brisket, okay? We are leaving that out of this conversation. I heard someone say individualism. What about that? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. You would know better than I would know. But again, there's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with power. There's nothing wrong with intellectualism. There's nothing wrong with individualism, but anytime we take something that was never meant to be the ultimate thing and we make it the ultimate thing, it can become an idol for us. Those are the most dangerous idols. I would even say maybe it's family. Maybe family can even become an idol. Whether it's I want my parents to approve of me. I want to be accepted of my, by my parents. I want my parents to be proud of me. Or, or maybe it's I'm living for the success of my children. I want my children to be successful. I want my children to make it in this world. And if they do, great. And if they don't, all of a sudden, I feel like a total epic failure. What, what, what about achievement? Maybe achievement is, is a good thing that could become an ultimate thing. A lot of you have done really well in your career. A lot of you are doing good things in your career. A lot of you feel passionate about what it is that you do for a living. And that's a good thing. Again, today's not about love less. No. If you love your career, good, good on you. Good for you for loving your career and being passionate about what you do. But is it possible that career could be a good thing that we make the ultimate thing? Sure. I'll tell you, this has been really... Um, it's been a confusing topic for me over the years because when I was about 28 years old, I was doing a, um, a graduate program at Dallas Seminary 
And part of the program, you had to go to this intensive. It was like a career intensive that you and your spouse had to go to together. And I'll never forget my wife and I flying here. This, we had to get the grandparents to watch our kids and come to Dallas, spend a couple days in this intensive kind of life map career thing where they go through all the different aspects of your life. And there were a couple of the counselors slash professors that told me, you love your church so much, I, I just want to ask you, could your church have become an idol to you? And I remember thinking, that's the dumbest question ever. How could a church become an idol? So I like my church. I mean, what in the world? Why is that a wrong thing? Why is that a bad thing? I remember being so offended by that. My wife and I, we talked about it on the way out. Like, what in the world? They didn't even know. What are they talking about? Well, after about 20 years of working at a church and having experienced some highs and some lows, having experienced some amazing things that happened, but also some dreams that I would say I had that eventually died after putting a lot of expectation on other people, yeah, I, I now am more aware than ever that even ministry, even church can become an idol because anything that's good that we make ultimate that we hope will give us fulfillment, that we hope will give us meaning, that we hope will make us whole, will make us feel like an achieved person, whatever it is, yeah, it can become an idol. So I want you to just think for a second, I really want this to be a, a contemplative message today where maybe you would be open to being honest about what is it for you? Not in a guilty way, not in a, oh, woe is me, here I go again kind of way. But no, if, if you can't identify it, then how can you ask God to help you with it? But would you be willing to think through your own life? What is it for you? What is the thing that you've taken from good and maybe made ultimate? Here's the other thing that we've got to know about idols is that, number two, idols, idols will lie to you. I mean like straight lie to your face. Idols will tell you when you've made it, when you've done well, they'll tell you way to go, but it still leaves you empty because it doesn't fulfill. But then when you live for it and don't make it or don't achieve it or don't experience the success that you were hoping to, then it will judge you. It will condemn you. Let, let, let me tell you what I mean by this. This is a quote by uh, Tim Keller, the late Tim Keller who just passed away recently, a uh, remarkable pastor in New York City. Here's something Tim Keller said about idols. Look at this. He said, an idol is a God and that God makes a covenant with you. If you're a great writer, you'll be okay. If you're a football all pro in the Hall of Fame, then you're okay. If your children love you, and turn out fine, then you're okay. But if you fail it, if you don't make it, it will punish you and it is merciless. Some of you know this. Some of you have experienced this because when you're in the middle of it, it's rare for us to have the wherewithal or the ability to be 
aware enough to go, oh no, I need to be careful I'm making this an idol. But it's only when we look back on it that we can oftentimes see it. It's only in the rearview mirror that we can see it. Because at times, maybe it's, I, all I wanted in my career was this and I made it and it still wasn't enough. Or all I wanted in my career was this. All I wanted in our family was this. And then we got it. And for a while it felt like, oh, we finally made it. We have it. But then it failed me or I failed it. And it has punished me mercilessly. Let, let, let me give you another illustration of this. I, I remember this, was, um, this, this interview happened in probably 2005. Uh, Tom Brady, uh, heavy on the sports illustration today. But um, you know Tom Brady uh, quarterback of the New England Patriots and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers won uh, multiple, multiple Super Bowls. This was about halfway through his career. He did this interview on 60 Minutes that I remember watching thinking, that is so interesting that someone so accomplished seems so empty. He had already won three Super Bowls at this time, multiple MVPs. He had already reached the pinnacle of his career. And when they asked him about this in this 60 Minutes interview. They said, what have you learned about yourself? He, he said, let me read you a couple of paragraphs. He said, well, I've learned that I put incredible amounts of pressure on myself. When you feel like you're ultimately responsible for everyone and everything, even though you have no control over it, you still blame your, yourself if things don't go right. I mean, there's a lot of pressure. A lot of times I think I get very frustrated and introverted and that there's times where I'm not the person that I want to be. And then he kind of looked off in the distance and he said, why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me? I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've, I've done it. I'm 27 and what else is there for me? And then the interviewer said, well, what's the answer? And Brady said, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. I mean, I think that's part of me trying to go out and experience other things. I love playing football. I love being a quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. I know what ultimately makes me happier, friends, and family and positive relationships with great people, I think I get more out of that than anything. I remember watching that and you can almost see the searching in him. You can see the lie that the idol has told him. You can see the lie that the idol has said, if you reach this, you will be happy, you will have made it. And he's going, I've done it and I'm not. So what else is there for me? See, there are only a few people in the world that have actually achieved their dreams and realized that they don't fulfill. Most of us, on the other hand, are the ones who chase after the dreams, didn't make them thinking, oh, now I'm nothing, now I'm not worth it, now I don't have what it takes because I didn't. Either way, the idol will destroy you. It will crush you. If you make it, it'll leave you feeling empty. And if you miss it, It'll just leave you feeling judged and feeling like a failure. Yeah, no, no matter who we put in that place, whether it's a boss or a parent or a person or kids, whoever it is, 
No human has the ability to sit as the idol, to sit in that seat, right? Has anyone ever let you down in this world and you realize that you, that, that you, you, un, you unintentionally crush them under your expectations? Do you know that your kids cannot make you happy? Do you know that you will never feel fulfilled enough in life with whoever's attention or affection or adoration you're trying to find? No, we, we will crush anyone under those expectations and then the idol will crush us for any imperfection, for the slightest of imperfections. I'm telling you, I, I believe today is a day of freedom. I believe today is a day of hope. Today is a day of God's kindness going, hey, I'm not telling you to love less. I'm telling you to love me most because it's the only way to live. If you missed last Sunday where Pastor Ken opened up with that remarkable illustration about his friend Milton from growing up that is now in, or was involved in acting and infomercials, what a great way to put this. That on the list of the things that do not fulfill, there goes another one that we need to add to the list. But the truth is, any good thing that we make the ultimate thing will ultimately let us down. Any good thing that we make the ultimate thing will ultimately let us down. Last thing though, idols, idols, yes, we can make anything an idol. Idols will lie to us. But number three, idols are only defeated with great sacrifice. Idols are only defeated with great sacrifice. And we see throughout the story of the early church over and over again of sacrifices that men and women are, women are making ultimately to defeat the idols of the day. So what do we do to defeat the idols in our life? Well, one option is to just remarkable self-discipline and remarkable sacrifice. But if I know myself, and if you are anything like me, I don't have enough internal discipline to be able to keep myself from buying into these idols, which is why the gospel is so beautiful. Really, the, the idea of idols are completely wrapped up in the gospel, that all of us have these things that we want to go live our life for, that we hope will give us fulfillment. And Jesus stepped onto the stage to go, I'm not telling you to just be more disciplined and love your work less. I'm not telling you to love your kids less. I'm not telling you to, whenever you wanna make your parents proud, smash that idea. No, make your parents proud. Love your kids well. Love your job. Love your fantasy football team. Enjoy Saturday of college football. Whatever it may be, if it's a good thing, enjoy it. Enjoy it. Enjoy it. But the sacrifice it takes to keep the good thing from becoming the ultimate thing, you do not have. And so Jesus made the sacrifice for us. He, he, he died for us because of our misplaced adoration. He gave up his life for our sin and then defeated death and lets us join in that celebration. And so the message today I'm telling you is not love your idols less. No, the message is Jesus is better. He's just better. And so I, I don't know what you should go do with that. I don't know what you want to go do with that. I hope maybe this leads us all to trust him more. This leads us all to be more cognizant of what it is that we are tempted to idolize. But ultimately, I hope it 
causes all of us to elevate him and say, you are better. And whenever I'm tempted to think it's gonna fulfill, I've gotta remind myself that you are better. And whenever I'm tempted to wanna trust in it, I wanna remind myself that you are just better, that you're just better. And so Heavenly Father, I just, um, I wanna pray that. I wanna pray that for myself. I wanna pray that for my friends here at Faith Bridge, that this week, that this would be a week where we're reminded of the things that we try to make ultimate, the things that we try to make fulfill, the things that we try to adore, the things that we're thinking will give us the satisfaction we're looking for. I, I just pray that you would help us to see them, help us to identify them, help us to be aware of them. And I pray even, even in a still moment like this, that you would just remind us that you're, you're just better, that our soul was made for you. Our soul was made to worship you. And so I pray that we would see that. I pray that we would trust you in that. And I pray that you would free us from trying to make anything else more important than you. Thank you for your kindness. Thank you for your goodness. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen.